I wonder if you want to be happy. And if you thought that would be a question you'd be asked today. Perhaps there are two responses to that in this room. Maybe you're just an eternal optimist. You live your life in the musical Oklahoma. I've got a beautiful feeling that everything's going my way. That's maybe where you are today as you come to church. But maybe you resonate more with the 2018 World Happiness Report, which said that in the US, income per capita has more than doubled since 1972, whilst happiness or subjective well-being has begun to decline. Maybe you resonate with that. Maybe not the doubling of income, but at least subjective well-being declining. Maybe that's where you are this morning. I would love to be happy, but I just don't know how. Well, Psalm 1 this afternoon presents us with two ways to live. Two ways to live, and one of those ways is the way that leads to happiness. It's a theme that actually comes up throughout the Bible. Just as God's people were about to enter the promised land, Joshua said this, If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Two ways to live, to serve the Lord or to turn from him and to chase after other gods. Jesus put it actually more starkly in the Sermon on the Mount. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. It's a stark choice for us this morning, this afternoon, sorry, that we see in Psalm 1. Will you choose the way of the righteous that leads to happiness? Or will you choose the way of the wicked that leads to destruction? It says it starkly in verse 6 there. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Psalm 1 is saying to us this afternoon, if you want to be happy, truly happy, pursue the way of the righteous, walk in the way of the righteous. And that's what we're going to think about uh, in these next few minutes. Notice three things with me about what it looks like to walk in the way of the righteous. Firstly, this, if you walk in the way of the righteous, you shun the ways of the wicked. Verse one, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Here's a life untainted by opposition to God. And the psalmist is saying, if you want to be happy, turn your back on opposition to God and walk into his presence. Live a life free from the influence of sinners and mockers. And you might be saying, well, James, we've just been looking at 1 Peter. And 1 Peter says to be a Christian is to live in the world, to seek to bless the world. Yes, we're different from it, but we can't remove ourselves from it. And Psalm 1 is in complete agreement. 
you see, the psalmist here is not talking about association, that we don't associate with the world. Instead, it's talking about assimilation. That as you live your life in the places that God has put you, are you beginning to behave more and more like the people you're surrounded by? Or is your life so like Jesus's life that it begins to transform the people around you? It's not to do with association, but it is to do with assimilation. We must not let the ways of the world infiltrate our hearts and turn them away from the God who made us. It's a challenging question for us this afternoon. As we each, after this service, go out into our different spheres, with our different influences and with different voices speaking into our lives, what direction is that influence moving? Because you notice in Psalm 1, it's a scary prospect. The person who first starts walking with wickedness becomes so comfortable that they end up standing amongst sinners before they themselves become a mocker and sit and mock the God who gives them life and breath and everything. Psalm 1's a real warning to us and maybe to some of us in here this afternoon. No one ever turns their back on God on day one. They start by flirting with evil. They start by engaging in things that they know are turning their head from God. And gradually they slide away from God. Psalm talks about the way of life that a person chooses. And it says to us, if you leave it unchanged, it will determine your ultimate goal. If you are walking on a way that is turning from God, you will only get further from him. But if you turn yourself to God, then you experience the blessing of communion with him. Now, there may be some in this room, if you are walking away from God, can I say to you, please wake up, come back, return, please. Psalm 1 is a stark warning to us. Don't walk in the way of the wicked because you'll end up staying in that way. Turn back to God before it's too late. That's what it is to walk in the way of the righteous. It is to shun the way of opposition to God. To do everything you can to keep it from your heart and to turn your eyes each day to Jesus. And so secondly, you notice in verse 2, To walk in the way of the righteous isn't just to turn away from something, but it is to turn towards something and to delight in the word of God. Verse 2, the way of the righteous is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates meditates on his law day and night. This isn't reading a chapter a day to keep the devil away. It's not a duty that you do. You wake up in the morning and think, I best smash out my Bible reading just so that I've done it. No, this is someone whose instinct is to read the Bible, who loves to hear what God is saying to them. The picture in Psalm 1 is of a person who devours and consumes 
the Bible. It's not a tick list. It's something that shapes every aspect of your life. So the people of the Old Testament would write out the Bible and they would write it out and write it out and write it out until it was memorized, until they'd internalized it. And actually the word meditate implies this sense of muttering. So the person who meditates on God's word mutters it day after day after day. Now, I perhaps didn't understand it until Millie, kind of the last six months. Millie wakes up in the morning. She kind of jumps out of bed and her mouth doesn't stop going until she goes to bed at seven. She just talks nonstop. So she says, Daddy, you're interrupting me. And I say, darling, if I didn't interrupt you, I would never speak because it is just one long monologue from morning to night. But actually, what a perfect illustration of what it's like to be a Christian, such that the Bible has entered into our hearts and in every situation we can draw to mind something from God's word that encourages us, that shapes us, that challenges us. It's a pretty amazing verse. It's a challenging verse. It says, how do you listen? How do you read? How do you meditate? Psalm 1 is not someone who's balancing the checkbook in the middle of the sermon. It's someone who is hungry, who wants God's word to wash over them and shape them. It describes someone whose mind returns to the Bible again and again and again. A total immersion in who God is. It was said of John Bunyan, the Puritan, that if you cut him, he would bleed Bible. That is, he knew his Bible so well that if you cut him, it's as if Bible verses would just spew out of his veins. Because he had so immersed himself in the Bible. Now, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking, wow, physician, heal yourself. How on earth can I speak to you about having that attitude towards the Bible? Because it's hard, isn't it? You know, you wake up and there's so many things on your mind and there's so many things to do and your stomach is rumbling and then you're desperate to get to a meeting on time because you don't want to be late. And it's, it's midday before you've even stopped to think. That's, that's life, isn't it? And one of the dangers as we talk about this is we all big up how good we are. You know, I'm so good at reading my Bible. And what we do is we create a culture amongst ourselves of quiet time guilt. And someone is saying, don't, don't do that. It's not, it's not about a duty that you must do and, and tick off. Someone is saying, the Bible is so good. God, working through his spirit, is so available that wherever you are, whenever you're there, you can turn to him. You can speak to him. He has always gone ahead of you. Wherever you end up, God is already, already there. So wherever you end up in the day, whenever you have that moment and you think, oh, no, I've, got, I've done it again. I've gone through the day and I just haven't spent time. Someone doesn't say, beat yourself up about that. Someone says, God is there. He is there wherever you are, available, willing, ready, longing for you to turn to him. There is no place in life where God is not already present before us and around us and with us. He is always there. So don't read Psalm 1 and go away now and come up with a 10-point plan to have better quiet times. That's, 
Well, I think actually it's not even helpful. Just learn to read a verse and to love it and to let it wash over you and to, to sense that God is always available for you. He will never turn you away. Even if you haven't had a quiet time in a month of Sundays, he will never turn you away because he loves you. And his word will always speak to you, even if you haven't listened to it for a long, long time. God is there. So to walk in the way of the righteous is to turn our back on wickedness. It is to delight in the word of God. And thirdly, notice it's to grow in relationship with God. Verse three says that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. (coughs) Here's the person Psalm 1 is describing. Someone who has attached themselves to the source of life. And so whatever they do, life flows out of them. Because they are leaning on Jesus, the source of life, Jesus' life bubbles up inside of them. And out of that overflow comes much fruit. I couldn't help but think as... I thought of a tree bearing fruit of Galatians 5, 22 and 23. To walk in the way of the righteous is to bear the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. But again, can I say, this isn't a moment for you to beat yourself up. You know, we read the fruit of the Spirit and we kind of think... Oh, maybe got four out of those lot. I've got a long way to go. No, Psalm 1 is saying, rest in who loves you rather than in what you do. You see, we aren't the source of our spiritual life. None of you are. God, the Holy Spirit living in you is the source of your spiritual life. That's the thing about a tree. A seed produces its fruit in season. It doesn't actually produce fruit straight away. It it produces organic growth rather than immediate change. And so when you come to church, don't beat yourself up and go away and think, I'm just not good enough. Look into your heart and see how God the Holy Spirit is slowly but surely working in you to make you more like Jesus. I think one of the messages of the Bible is this, relax. Relax. God is working in you. Your spiritual life is not of human invention. And it is not sustained by human capacity. God is working in you and through you. That's how you know you'll keep going in 60 years time. Not because you've done anything incredible. But because God is working in you. Now, I've spent a good deal of time with some of you. And I know we beat ourselves up. Can I say some of the people I've spent time with, some of the people from our home group are blossoming. They are flowering. Because God has taken root in their life. They haven't done anything special. Just week after week, they've spent time with God's people. They've wrestled with questions. They've they've wondered about things that have been happening in their lives. And God has caused them to flower and to blossom. There are people in our home group who, whenever Emma and I talk about them, all we can do is smile. Because we just cannot believe that in the year or two that we've known them, God has so changed them. 
and worked in them. It's not anything special that they've done. It's just that to be a Christian is ultimately to surrender yourself and to give yourself to God and he will work in you. How do you know you'll keep going in 60 years time? Not by human invention or human capacity, but by God's grace. As Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And listen to this. No one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch you out of Jesus' hand. He loves you. Why on earth would he let you go? So don't beat yourselves up. Relax. And think about those three things. Turn away from the ways of wickedness. Delight in God's word. He's always available to you. And grow in your relationship with him. That is, surrender yourself to him and see what wonderful things he can do in your life. That's the good news of Psalm 1. The way of the righteous, this way, will lead to happiness. Now, I'll put an asterisk by that. We'll come back to that. But here's the bad news of Psalm 1, verses 4 and 5. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Chaff is like the ash at the end of a fire. It's like dust. And when the wind comes through a field of corn that has some chaff in it, it just blows away. Because the Bible says two things about life without God. The first thing, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it says that life without God is like that. It's like vapour. It's like breath. Here, today and gone tomorrow. And for all the progress that this society has made and for all the amazing things that happen, don't you see that? Life is like a breath. It's on your lips for a moment and then it's gone. The more things change, the more things stay the same. There's a mundane repetitiveness to life. Without God, nothing will fully satisfy. Ecclesiastes says, Without God, all your projects are like sandcastles on the beach. Or actually worse than that, they're like clouds in the sky on a windy day. The novelist Jack Higgins said this, I wish someone had told me that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. The Bible's honest, life without God is is like that. It's like a breath. But it's, it's actually worse than that. Life without God is is ultimately rebellion against him and will not lead to flourishing. It will only lead in one direction. You see, we live in a society that promises that it can bring peace amongst nations. It's a society that promises that it can explain everything, that we can control the natural world with science and technology. We think that we can free ourselves from war, poverty, political oppression, evil, and perhaps even death itself. But Psalm 1 says that's like shepherding the wind. Trying to do anything without God is like shepherding the wind. We're not God. And if we turn our back on him, it will only lead in one direction. Haven't the last two years shown us that? 
a global pandemic that brought us to our knees. We couldn't do anything about it. Weeks of clapping our NHS heroes now forgotten. A government that a lot of people voted into power, ignoring their own rules. And in the last hundred days, an unpredictable and irrational leader in the Kremlin who we have no power to control. We can't trust in princes. And Psalm 1 says, Life without God is not a life to be envied. In fact, it's a life that should make, it, make us tremble. Because turning your back on God, and I, I say this plainly and bluntly, turning your back on God will only lead to destruction. Because you're turning your back on the God of life. The God who made all things. The God of perfect justice. And so this isn't just a choice. Do I want to be a bit happier? (coughs) This is do you want life or death? That's the stark choice that Christianity presents us with. And it says if you want to be happy, choose life. Choose the way of the righteous. But you say... That sounds all right, James. I kind of understand it. But that doesn't make sense of my lived experience. The righteous don't seem to be happier. Christians get depressed too. The wicked, well, they seem to prosper. Just look at what's going on in Russia. We live in a world where moral justice does seem to be upside down. There are people in this room who will suffer from severe mental health issues. Others who will face awful ill health. Others who will be marginalised in society. And Psalm 1 says, those people are happy. And you say, well, how on earth can that be? You see, sometimes the wicked seem to have their own way. They seem to live the high life. So Psalm 1 says there are two ways to live. It just doesn't seem like that, does it? How can we believe this psalm? That says, if you want to be happy, follow God. Because so many people follow God and it seems like their lives don't get better. How can Psalm 1 be true? Let me just give you three Ps. Psalm 1 presents us with a paradox. It's a paradox that the Bible wrestles with and presents us with. This is two verses in Romans 8. Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But just 10 verses earlier, Romans 8.18 says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The way to happiness is not a way free from suffering and difficulty in this life. The Bible's honest about that. Paul's life shows us that. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 10. Paul's describes himself as this, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. You see, the Bible always presents us with a paradox that life in a world that has turned its back on God is not stress-free. It is not plain sailing for those who are Christians. That's why Psalm 1 is the introduction to a book of songs where 50 of them are laments, where 50 of them talk about how difficult life is. Psalm 1 is 
opening the door for us and it's saying there are two ways to live. But if you choose this way, you're going to need these psalms of lament. You're going to need a voice that helps you wrestle with how difficult life is. God's power and presence may not be evident in every circumstance. And the Psalms are saying, how will you respond when that happens? Will you say, well, this just doesn't seem to work. The way of happiness just doesn't seem to make sense. So I'm going to turn my back on it. Or will you read the Psalms and say this, life is messy. And I experience day by day pain and joy, self-knowledge and self-doubt, love and hatred, trust and suspicion. These things break in on one another, on one another, overlap and compete for our attention. You see, the Bible is honest. It presents us with a paradox. Choose the way of happiness, please choose it. But then use the resources God gives you to, to walk through the challenges of life because the bible presents us with a paradox life can be difficult but psalm 1 is a promise it's a promise secondly of prosperity if you walk in the way of the righteous you will be happy you will enjoy prosperity and whenever a preacher says that i know some people begin to get a bit anxious and uncomfortable Let me say this, prosperity isn't, as we imagine, just economic gain or anything like that. In fact, when you look at the word prosperity, the word that's used in the Hebrew, it can mean a whole range of things. In fact, in Jeremiah 18, it talks about underwear prospering. Because the word prospering actually means this, accomplishing the purpose for which it was made. That's what Psalm 1 is saying. We won't worry about underwear and its purpose. Well, you can if you want. Think, think on that. Meditate on that. And that prospering reflects how we can prosper as Christians, as we commit ourselves to God. You see, Augustine got it right when he said this. You have made us for yourselves, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You see... When Psalm 1 says, if you walk in the way of the righteous, you will prosper. What it's meaning is this. Your life will begin to make sense. The pieces of the jigsaw puzzle will come together. Because as you rest in God, you discover that even in the face of suffering, there is joy to be had. It's interesting, the Bible is full of failures. David is a good example of failure. The Psalms are full of failures. But Psalm 1 starts not with failure, but with God's sure and certain promise. Because that's actually the way the Bible works. It starts with God's surety and his promise to us. Don't get bogged down with your failures. Lean on God's perfection and his promises. And he says in Psalm 1, walk in the way of the righteous and you will prosper. Life will begin slowly but surely to make sense. Because Psalm 1 also gives us perspective. You know, from our lived experience, it may not feel like the righteous prosper and the wicked will are on a road towards destruction. No, it it doesn't feel like that. But Psalm 1 steps back. It's as if we are walking on the road. And Psalm 1 is standing on the balcony, looking at the road and seeing it mapped out 
ahead of us. The story of the Bible is one of Jesus entering into our weakness and darkness and coming out the other side, shining his glorious light. And Psalm 1 looks beyond itself to that road where Jesus is carrying a torch as our trailblazer. I listened to this recently. Nathan's going to play something. It was an interview that Tom Hanks did. Now, can I say I love Tom Tom Hanks. And this, man, this would like lull you to sleep if you're struggling. It's beautiful. So listen to it. But then let me tell you why it's not that great. To this program, know and associate you with being the voice of reassurance and optimism. So, and this is specifically to Mark and to people who, who are not sure whether it's going to be all right in the end. What would you say? Either as either Mr. Rogers or all right. Mr. Hanks. There you go. I'm still cheering. You're ready for this? Mm-hmm. Four words. This too shall pass. You having a rotten day? You having a hopeless day? This too shall pass. You having a great day? You feel on top of the world? This too shall pass. It evens out. Life is a big bell curve. No matter how dark, no matter how wonderful, this too shall pass. Sounds nice, doesn't it? But how does Tom Hanks know that? How He doesn't, does he? he we can say that and it might make us feel better, but there's only one person who's been to the other end of the bell curve, and it's not Tom Hanks. Psalm 1 is saying... The reason we know the way of the righteous will prosper is because it is the way of God. The God who made all things. The God who so loved this world that he sent his son to redeem us. If Jesus can enter into death and bankrupt it three days later, we can cling on to him and trust in him. Don't don't sell yourself platitudes. Cling on to reality. And reality is this. The way of the righteous will prosper because the righteous one, the righteous one entered into death and took it down to the hellish depths it deserves and came out the other side. The way of the righteous will prosper because the way of the righteous one did prosper. And if you cling on to him, then your life will lead towards, and it doesn't seem like it at times, but it will lead towards happiness. The bell curve that Tom Hanks speaks of is a figment of the world's imagination, and yet it is the path of the righteous as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about a wonderful lady, Fatima al-Matari. She grew up in a distinguished tribe in Saudi Arabia, And in 2007, she became a Christian and living in Saudi Arabia, used her abilities as a poet and a writer to write a blog under a pseudonym describing her journey of faith. It's a remarkable blog. And many people read it and came to faith in Jesus through it. And in August 2008, so about a year later, her brother discovered that it was she who was writing the blog, discovered her hidden identity. He came to her house, burnt her face, burnt her back, cut out her tongue and killed her. Her own brother. And that sounds awful, and it is. But there's there's two amazing things in this story. The name of the blog was 
uh, rania, which means contented. And the last thing she wrote were these words. I am unto death a Christian. And then her brother discovered her identity and brutally murdered her. And she is now more alive than she has ever been. In that moment, she was transported into the presence of Jesus. And all the imperfections and worries and fears of this world are dissipated in her life. I am unto death a Christian. Because it may not seem like it. Those two ways to live may not map onto our experience of reality. But they will map onto a bigger map. The map of the one who is painting on a far bigger canvas than we can see. You're just looking at a little corner of the picture that God is painting. But one other question. Two ways to live in Psalm 1. But how do I know? How do I know that I've chosen the right one? Can I be sure? You know, you're saying to me, James, follow the way of the righteous, but you haven't seen my life. I don't live like that. Someone's actually humbling, isn't it? I've walked in the way of the wicked. I've stood amongst sinners. I've sat with mockers. The whole first book of Psalms was probably written entirely by David. So this may be a Psalm of David. He committed adultery and he was a murderer. He's not. He's not Psalm 1. The amazing thing is Psalm 1 doesn't describe to us a hypothetical person. It describes to us the one righteous man, Jesus Christ. You see, when you read Psalm 1 and think that's not me, in some senses that's the point. Psalm 1 is Jesus. He did those things and he did them for you. So when Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus going to his death, it says this. Jesus will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. You will prosper in Jesus's hand. Hebrews 12 verse 2 describes Jesus as the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You see, the point is we don't live Psalm 1, but Jesus holds us by the hand and takes us to things that we cannot see. If you trust in him, you will go with him on the way of the righteous, even if you don't think you can. If you trust in him, he will take you there. And Psalm 1 isn't saying you need to clean yourself up and sanitise yourself before you come into God's presence. Psalm 1 says, I am the gateway to a whole load of mess in the rest of these Psalms. Come in through me and discover how messy the Christian life is and discover how gracious God is. He will never, ever let you go. Because what more could he have done than sent his son to die for you? You don't need to clean yourself up to God. Come to Jesus. He is the righteous one who prospers and he will prosper in his work of bringing you safely home. Commit yourself into his hands. Verse 6 says he watches over us. Having a four-year-old, you're constantly, constantly looking and yet constantly miss. You know, you have those moments where for a second, I don't know where she is, and your heart kind of just drops into the pit of your stomach and 
all, all the nightmare scenarios come in. God never, ever loses sight of you. He never, ever loses sight of you. Even in the depths, he looks down with perfection and he loves you. So in some senses, yes, choose the way of the righteous. But actually, it's even simpler than that. Just, just lie down at Jesus' feet and he will pick you up and he will carry you along that way. No matter what you've done or where you've been or anything. And like Fatima Almatari, you will be unto death a Christian. Because Jesus will hold you fast. Let's pray.